0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community
1: radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
2: Book online at 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. Radio,
3: radio
2: this is 3CR Breakfast.
3: Oh,
0: Alternative news, analysis Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, to 8.30am. your, your
4: pants. Pants. <laughs> Good morning. You're listening Good to morning. Tuesday Breakfast. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: you just interrupted me taking a no, selfie. What? No, that's that's <laughs> what I'm laughing at. I was
4: looking at. Oh my God. We do apologize. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ian, um, George and Lauren. That was hilarious. I should not have been looking at you because you looked so adorable and I lost I my place.
1: I did look cute, but it's all right. Um, yes. If you follow us on Twitter, you'll see the photos. <laughs>
2: Good morning,
4: everybody. Yes, good morning, listeners. Good morning to the both of you. Um, Welcome to Tuesday, 30th yes. of January. Um,
2: Our last show for January.
4: Yeah. It's <laughs> a depressing way to look at
2: it. <laughs> Already as well. I like know, but that flew, hey.
4: Fast mm. time flies. Um, and also, Invasion Day it was good it was good oh seeing gosh. you girls there. Oh my god. It was so funny cuz both of you were doing uh, I think no, George was doing fox pop.
2: We were both doing the technology. I was doing the interview. talking. Yeah. Yes.
1: I was the people fronting. Mm-hmm. Yes,
4: yes. I, I I love that division of labor. I'm so so <laughs> down for it. But how yeah. amazing was it? What was the turnout?
1: 60,000 plus. Mm. Can you believe it?
4: That's, that's I can not I, yeah. I mean I can believe it cuz Yeah. At one point, when we got to Federation Square and we were around that circle, mm. there were people who were still, like, at the beginning, not beginning, yeah, but yeah. middle way through Swanston mm. um, towards Burke Street. It was huge <sighs> as well. Yeah. Just, like,
1: the presence and all of the speakers were incredible. and
4: Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's interesting how
2: certain media outlets have tried to downplay the numbers. You tried it. You tried it. Yeah. Stop it. But we
1: were looking at, like, so what did the Herald Sun headline The Herald Sun mean?
2: headline says thousands turnout for protest and then later in, if you read the article it does acknowledge 60,000 but then following that says but others at the protest feel like it was more than
4: 7,000. Okay. It's like you've
2: equated a random person's perspective on the numbers with the actual
4: figures. Yeah, fake news, fake news, yeah. not surprised. And mm. um, I think we also mentioned it on our Tuesday Breakfast page um, about our support for Tyneen. Mm. Um, so we do support her. We Um, does anyone want to say what happened, um, the reason for the controversy? Yeah, I mean, Tanine
1: Onus-Williams, who is, um, she was one of the organisers of the Invasion Day rally and she um, is a member of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and also sits on the Koori Youth Council, um, has copped a lot, a lot of really horrific racist and sexist vitriol after mentioning in her really impassioned and powerful speech on Invasion Day Um, that she would like to see Australia burn to the ground. And what she meant, which she explained really clearly and eloquently in an article published immediately after the Invasion Day rally um, in The Age, which we've linked on our Facebook page if you'd like to read it, was not that she meant physically burning Australia to the ground, but the institutions that um, invaded her country and have kept Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this racist, colonialist, you know, have slaughtered people and have taken people's land and continue to oppress people to this day. She wants to see those institutions destroyed. And that's what she meant. And that is, um, I think, for any person who has their eyes open, entirely understandable. Um, But yeah, it's just blown up on Mm. Twitter. Her mentions were horrific to read. Um, She was being threatened. It was quite awful. I think she's actually turned her... Twitter onto private now.
2: It's really good that she's not yielding and apologising given no. that pressure.
4: Yes. No. I love that. And she was talking about poet, um, poetic license. Mm. And um, I mean, what do you expect? I remember I think I put it up on Twitter saying, "This is if if you had been under like under the boot of oppression, your your entire community for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. Like, what do you? How do you expect to?" um talk about your oppressor like are you you, you know to be kind about it are you supposed to be kind about <laughs> yeah it? Like, yeah and you want me to celebrate the um the beginning of the the genocide of my people like that does not make sense at all if we can i'm hoping later on i just just thought of it now maybe we could play um burn baby burn <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> like if we could find that, consider it yeah, out, please. yeah in solidarity yeah. But I think we have a song lined up for right now. What have you got, Georgie? So I've got a tune by an artist called Emily w- wuramara She's a singer-songwriter from the Northern Territory. She sings in both English and her original language and in Diliakwa. And this is her latest single. It's a really beautiful song. I heard it on the radio last week. So that was a new song by Emily Wurramara.
0: The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts for just one example. This
3: is a public announcement!
0: Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly, unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50 a.m. on Monday Bricky for
3: Over the Wall.
1: And we're back on Tuesday Morning Breakfast. It is Tuesday 30th of January, 10 past 7, and it is not going to be 14 degrees today. Why is the weather stuck on that? Ah, it's
2: going to be 16.1. Thank so goodness. It is currently, That's currently Yes. Okay. Top of 20 today uh, We finally made it through that blissful. Heat wave Oh
1: my goodness, mm. I know, listen to us complaining like that Well we have no air conditioning, I think we're allowed um, So we went to the Invasion Day rally last week mm-hmm. um, And took some audio there So we're going to play some for you now It opens with a speech Or part of a speech by Gary Foley And then goes into a bit of a vox pop we did Where we asked people why they Thought it was important to show out And stand in solidarity on Invasion Day.
0: One of my mentors during that period of my life and study spoke here earlier today has got me out there somewhere. Good on you, (laughs) Tony (laughs) Birch. Like I said, start to present a more accurate representation of the history that I've been part of. And in the process of doing that, I came to understand that much more about some of the history that had preceded it. In the late 1960s, early 1970s, with the great black uprising that started in Richmond and in that led to the great renaissance, of like, in the Aboriginal political resistance. Our heroes at that point in time were those who had gone before. The Jack Pattons, the Bill Owners, the Barge Tuckers, the, who had been responsible for the 1938 Day of Mormon when William Cooper established once and for all that Aboriginal people considered this day to be a day of mourning and invasion day.
5: I'm here to pay respect to the traditional custodians of this land.
3: Uh,
4: We're here because we think that it's wrong that the white people stole the Aboriginals' land. And that today is called Australia Day, not Invasion Day.
0: Uh, I'm here today because it is important to acknowledge
6: Australia's black past, present and future. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, for me as a migrant to this country, it's important to remember that uh, the only way we'll ever uh, deconstruct anti-blackness is to acknowledge the treatment of indigenous Australians. Um, And so I hope that increasingly uh, people from, I mean across Australia, but also from my community, uh, show up uh, for rallies like this. It's important that we are present uh, and understand how our faiths are tied together.
1: So what brought you out today? Um,
0: A a recognition I'm 70 years old and recognising that this is an injustice that's been here all my life and long before and feeling that it's just, it's time we dealt with it. It's absolutely time we dealt with it in a proper way that works with Aboriginal people and non-Indigenous people. And this is just one way of showing what the support is. One of the fantastic things about what's here is how many young people are here. I normally would come to a rally and meet ten people I know. I haven't met anyone yet, and it's just—I think that's totally wonderful. There's just a heap of young people here, so this issues, the time has come. Yeah. That
1: was Thank you. I mean, we're representing change in our country, and we want to see—we want to see things change, and we want a peaceful country, free of racism. I mean, we don't want, you know, a flag that's synonymous with racism. We want be a peaceful country and um yeah that's why we're here yeah
0: and i'm pleased to be here today marching in this huge invasion day rally and um i'm actually wearing a badge that says white australia has a black history don't celebrate 1988 and um i marched in 1988 in sydney and um this is a long struggle for justice for the First Nations people of this country, but it's gathering momentum at the moment. No pride in genocide. Hi there, I'm glad to be here and I'm uh, in favour of uniting all Indigenous cultures together and I'm actively working and believing in it that it will happen and that we keep the uh, Ancient traditions alive and learning to care to look after after this earth.
4: Um, I guess recognizing that the privileges that we as white Australians enjoy today uh, have come off the backs of hundreds of years of suffering of other people um, from slavery, rape, murder, um, and of course the dispossession of Aboriginal land. So, I can't in good conscience um, celebrate those privileges uh, without first protesting those injustices.
3: Yeah. And
1: that was. Um great audio from the Invasion Day Rally um, in Nam or Melbourne on the 26th of January 2018 and now we are going to hear a song in a bit of an homage to the wonderful Taneen Onus Williams called Burn Baby Burn
4: right Please stay with us for one moment. We want to find the right one the, the hmm. one that touches our soul Burn, burn, baby, burn. Let me... uh, We should have done this. We're actually on... All of us on our laptops. Burn, baby, burn. Burn, burn, baby, burn. Well, um, we'll find out... In the interim,
2: let's just pop on. I've got... George has a song. What are you playing for us, my dear? George is going to play... So, I've got a song from a really good local (laughs) Melbourne band. They're called This Way North, and this song is called Head Above Water. So that was This Way North with a song called Head Above Water. And now we are going to play what, my dear? So last week I spoke to some good friends of mine that are very woke feminists about their thoughts on the Aziz fallout and just more broadly the Me Too campaign. looking at different media publications and how they presented the story. Uh, in an opinion piece in the opinion piece for the New York Times writer Barry Reese says that the solution to these problems does not begin with women torturing men for failing to understand their non-verbal cues. It's women to be more verbal. It is to say, I don't want to do that.
7: It's like, what's a non-verbal cue? Like, what is that? Yeah. But um, in... In the article, she did talk about, um, how she said, like, something like, I don't want to, or, like, and then he said something like, um, I, oh, yeah, it's only fun if we're both enjoying it, but then, like, start to pursue her again. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's, that's a verbal cue.
6: Yeah, she said no in, like, other ways, and it, like, wasn't just non-verbal. Yeah. Like, she said, like, I don't want to hate you. Yeah. And I don't want to feel forced. And that, like... It's definitely not a yes, and it's not even, like, a maybe, so it's a no, mm. and it was a response to, like, a question that he asked non-verbally, so I, I think that's really frustrating that we, like, expect her to respond verbally, and yet, a lot of what he did was non-verbal as well, mm. in, in asking, Yeah, like, so there was no, like, do you want to have sex? That's, that's a like, good point. Yeah, like, yeah. we we're, were like, why didn't she just, like, slap him and leave, and it's like, well... He was like asking non-verbally, so she was responding non-verbally. Like no one started up a conversation about it, particularly him, and he should have been yeah. the one to start it. I just realised that then. I was like, oh my god. yeah, I was, yeah, I was gonna ask
2: you to read that. No, <laughs> no, I just, I was like, oh my god, he asked yeah.
6: non-verbal questions, and we're like, why was she responding non-verbally? Yeah. And it's like, because that's the conversation he started. Yeah, and
2: then you're breaking that kind of dynamic. Yeah. Non-verbal stuff. And you know what? Say that
6: now that I've said that, I'm like I've fully been in that situation. You're like, why am I finding it so hard to speak right now? Like I'm normally so assertive, and it's because somebody set the tone as being like we don't. Like some people don't like very explicit conversation during sex. Like yeah. um, they're like that's weird or awkward or whatever. And so they start this like tone that's like very like you know like you feel through things, and sometimes it can be really nice, but like there's a there's a unsaid thing of like there's no conversation going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Could I ask
7: what your initial reaction when you read about this story? Oh, like, before reading the story, it was probably, like, just that disappointment that a lot of people have felt regarding celebrities that they like with this whole, like, scandal. Whereas, like, this is the first celebrity that I've liked that's being caught up in it and being like, no, you're supposed to be one of us. Hmm. but like, it's after like seeing one of your friends, yeah, like hearing one of your friends do it, and just being like, oh my god, like yeah. you were like fully on board with this, yeah. Um, and not that I was like disbelieving like the rumor, because it seems more likely that it would be true anyway, regardless. Um, but reading it, after reading it, it was just, ah, oh, you're a bag. <laughs> It was mainly that like the scenario was all was all too common, yeah. and that it's like for the media portrayal after that it was such like a gray area, allegedly mm. like a gray area, yeah that, yeah, it just made it really uncomfortable and like harder to process because it didn't seem so black and white, but you know that it felt felt wrong, yeah, yeah.
6: Yeah, I think that's, like, the thing that, first of all, I was, like, furious because I was, like, this happens all the time. Like, this happens all the time. Like, I've spoken to so many people who have said the same kind of thing. Like, women who have been in relationships where they're, like, oh, like, he would get mad if we didn't have sex for a couple of days. And you're just, like, that's so up. Like, that's so, yeah. And I think I think I was mad because it was too familiar, and if anyone was dismissing it and saying, like, oh, it's a grey area, illegally he didn't do anything wrong, or, like, why didn't she slap him and leave, as if it was her fault, it's just, like, the point is not that, like, the point is, like, we should be just having a conversation about why we can all kind of agree that that was a bit of, like, an, like, there's something wrong, like, everyone's saying, like, oh, this is how how the situation could have been fixed, because there's definitely something wrong with it, like, people are always, like, oh, he should have done this, or she should have done this, so there's definitely something wrong because somebody felt really uncomfortable and didn't feel comfortable to say, like, no explicitly or ask, yet yeah, like, do you want to, or whatever it was. So there's, like, clearly, like, an underlying cultural problem that is beyond just, like, rapists are bad, horrible people who we don't know. It's, like, these are your friends. Mm-hmm. These are people who think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And yet they still make people feel really uncomfortable. And that got to me a lot because I was, like, been thinking about that for a while with all this stuff about me too. It was, like these are your mates like these are your mates who are making people feel really uncomfortable they need to do the work to like fix that because they're making people feel incredibly uncomfortable and I think that the person who is asking do you want to have sex needs to be saying that explicitly and saying that conversation because they're changing the direction of the situation so they need to be like you know what I mean like it's their responsibility as opposed to her responsibility to be like no Mm -hmm.
7: yeah for sure it really does
2: hit class differently. <laughs> In terms of conversations, do you find there's been a difference between different people,
6: like men and women, and Women, women I've spoken to have said that it's really familiar, um, which isn't really surprising to me, but like really does affirm that first reaction, I think. Men, I think I've like avoided speaking to people who I think would be like a reaction of like, oh, but everyone's too sensitive or they're overreacting. Like, I just don't want to have that conversation because it is too close to home. So largely I've had it with men who would I would already assume would probably get it, mm. and there's still been a bit of, like, here's why it matters. Mm. Um, like, I really wanted to stress that, and I even said to my housemate, I'm kind of going to avoid these conversations a little bit because it with men because it's, like, it's so important for me that you get this, that I'm going to be really frustrated and feel really, like... Not heard by you or cared uh, like cared for kind of thing. If you don't understand this, mm. I'm gonna be like pretty crushed. Mm. So I really mm. need you to get this, or we shouldn't talk about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like a safety or like a self care thing to not
6: engage with people that you think is gonna. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean like the the dudes I have spoken to have been like, yeah, like my housemate was saying, um, like he's a cis dude, hetero dude, and he was like, it's really scary that. Some women would be in a position where like some dude is so relentless that they're just like it's just easier if I just have sex with you that's horrible and he I think it had never occurred to
7: him that that was sometimes how that works I don't know about you but when I was younger in my mates I felt like when we were going out and then having sex with um just people even if we weren't 100% into it like sometimes I just be like oh yeah but just for the story you know like reflecting on it there was like a lot of decisions like a lot of people that we were like mm, no that's just like was a gross time all all mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: so does that mean that you look you look back on some of those situations with a different light like, around respectfulness or
7: consent stuff or yeah I think so like particularly being like a really young person and sort of like um finding your way through, like, dating and, like, casual sex early on. I felt like I really didn't have many people to talk about it with except for my mates who were, like, doing the same thing or, like, just stumbling away through it. But a lot of times it would just be like, oh, like I'm here. Just being like, oh, I'm just, like, staring at the ceiling. I don't know really where I am. Yeah. I remember when I was younger I used to, like,
6: I think I have a fake ID, but I used to, like, go out um, with people who were, like, a little bit older than me, but not that much. They were, like, my sister's friends or people I worked with. And I remember really distinctly being at this pub and this guy that um, he was into me and I thought he was really cute and, like, he wanted to buy me a drink. And I was like, no, no. And he's like, what? And I was like, no, no, I just don't want to feel like I owe you anything. And he was like, oh, I would never. And I was like, no, no, I just don't want to feel like I owe you anything. Like, I never want you to buy me a drink. And he was just like, okay, that's fine. Like, he was really respectful, but I had this very clearly at the time understanding of, of that pressure that you feel when, like, you've been on a date with someone or they bought you a drink or bought you a meal or something and you feel this like obligation yeah. and I was like I never want to feel that obligation I didn't know if I could probably d- describe what that was I just knew yeah. that I didn't want them to buy me a drink I was talking to a dude friend about this and saying the point of asking like consent around like we've had an ongoing conversation about the idea of asking permission with each change to the situation being like can I take this piece of clothing off can I touch you here and it, you can say it in different ways you can be like I'd really like to do this and it's still a question like you don't start to do it I was saying to him that what's really cool about that is it's not just literally asking consent about that particular thing which is important too but it also just sets a tone and a culture of like consent is really important to me it's kind of expressing a value as well and whenever anyone said that with me I've been like oh I know that I have room in this conversation to say whatever I need or want and also ask for things that you may not have previously asked for. I just think it starts a conversation and it opens it up and it shows like what you value and that's almost as important as actually asking for the consent of that particular thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes people feel safe. Yes. Yeah. So that's you know, that incredible. it's build
2: up to that and checking in. And checking yeah. And checking yeah. And
6: yeah and it sets yeah. a, it sets a tone it says like I value consent and I'm listening to you. Yeah. And I'm paying attention. Yeah. And you know whether it's your answer to this question or something else or like you start to seem unsure like I'm listening to you and that's really fucking cool like that's, that's just as well. yeah exactly. oh my god that's
1: <laughs> so cool like
6: I'm just like it's just I can't believe it wasn't taught in mm. school it's so much better
2: So that was an interview, the first part of an interview that I did with a few strong feminist friends of mine called Karen and M. You're listening to Tuesday
4: Breakfast at 3CR. Yes, and um, we'll play um, some community announcements. And when we come back, hopefully we can um, play that song, um, the song that we would love to dedicate to ta Ones Onus. And we found out who the artist is. It's actually The Tramps and it's called Disco Inferno. The other song was some aerobics madness. I don't <laughs> know. So hmm. nobody is in the mood for that. This yeah, so stick around. Sorry, I forgot to... Hi, Hi, my name's Sierra. I love coming here because they offer vegan food.
7: Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Yeah.
4: Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. And now the song that we promised if Tani and Onis is listening. I hope she is, but you know, um, she might not be. So the song is called Disco Inferno and it's by the Tramps. (laughs) Such a good song! <laughs> so glad we played that. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Oh, burn, baby, burn. Um, You know, I don't need to say any more. Um, you know what's up. Um, And now we're going to um be playing... Um, We're actually going to... No? Yeah, I think we might,
2: in the interest of saving time for today, because we've got a lot to get to, um. we might play part two of that interview next week. Mm-hmm. But we might launch into some community announcements. Yes. yes. So in light of a wave of intense racist hysteria towards the African community in Melbourne from politicians and the media, for example, Turnbull's claim that there was a growing gang of violence and lawlessness in Victoria, mm. which is actually factually incorrect, <laughs> there will be a rally in protest of racism and the criminalisation of African communities this Sunday, the 4th of February from 1 to 3 p.m. at the State Library. It is sure to be an important rally to get down and support. As part of Midsummer, Queer Space is hosting a panel discussion, also on this Saturday the 3rd, from 3.30 to 6.30. It aims to generate a dialogue between queer people of different generations. It's a free event, but booking is required and can be done through the midsummer.org.au website.
4: There are actually heaps of really awesome events for Midsummer in the last yeah. week. Oh, there's, oh, yes. I went to the Black Futurism, oh, the cool. Black Quantum Futurism, which was amazing. Mm. It was hosted by This Mob and Still Nomads, um, Alterity, and um, I think Black Quantum Futurism was brought down by a group called Liquid Architects. Oh, wow.
1: Liquid Architecture? Liquid Architecture, yeah. yeah. And they did
4: Mona FOMA as well. Yes. Yeah. So great stuff happening in Melbourne. We're so here for it. So good. So
2: I just picked one other event to mention. This one is called Park Lounge, Deep West Pride Without Prejudice. It's a big picnic in Werribee, another free event featuring lots of great music, including the band This Way North, which I played a song from just before. Mm. Uh, And then you can get more information about that event on the midsummer.org.au website. I've got an event to mention from the ASRC. Lauren, did you want to um,
1: speak about that? we just um, wanted to acknowledge that um, there are a lot of refugees and um, people seeking asylum or people with a migrant background in australia who don't um, think that the asrc is necessarily representative of them or um, agree with the way that they go about doing their work Um, and so we want to acknowledge that before we mention this event because um, that is really important we should be listening to people with the lived experience um, of whatever it is we you know we 're mm. working on and standing in solidarity with, um, so
2: the asSE is hosting what is it georgie so it 's information evening on Tuesday, the sixth of February to learn more about their work and opportunities to become involved. Tickets can be purchased online through the facebook event page,
1: yeah, mm. and so um I guess, as with everything, we would encourage people to. Um, you know, read everything, watch everything and go to everything with your eyes open and your mind critical. Um, and also, if you are going to check out the ASRC, I would also strongly recommend that you check out RISE Refugee, which is um, an organisation run by and for refugees and ex-detainees. Um, and you know, self-determination in any movement is crucial. So I think start with RISE. Um,
2: yeah. Mm. The last event is from ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. We have two more events. Ah, oh,
4: beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I was like, you. why is she wrapping it <laughs> up? No, 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 we've got, we've got two, I um, think, important ones. But yes, go on, sorry. So this one is uh, Akka is hosting
2: an event called the Roundtable and Ecofeminist Reading Group. And the event aims to create read-ins and a kind of refuge for critical, ecological, feminist thought and action. It will be held at ACCA in South Bank on Friday the 16th of February from 10am to 12pm. Another awesome free event that also requires online booking due to limited spaces. Yes.
4: And also February the 3rd is the National Day of Action. It's going to take part across um, a few states in Australia. So Melbourne has one. Uh, 1pm outside of State Library of Victoria, there's um, another one in Bendigo, 1pm, and it's the Bendigo Library, Um, yeah, so it's uh, National Day of Action, and there's one in Sydney and Adelaide, Um, The best place to find out more information is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, the South Australian branch. So it's just basically a day where um, we um, come out together and speak out against um, the clampdown on Social Security. For example, this card that's coming out, um, well, it's being trialed at the moment in a few locations and basically tells people that actually 80% of I think approximately 80% of what you spend will be dictated by us. Um there'll be certain things that you can and can't buy. And also the um uh, I forgot the name, but the bes- certain um benefits that people receive, there'll be more conditions put on that benefit. Yeah, so it's it's pretty horrible what's happening. So once again, go on the Australian Unemployed Workers Union for more information about the National Day of Action. And, um, soon we'll be having, uh, China, who'll be talking to us about floating keys. Um, and that event is on the, is on January the 31st at Afro Hub in Carlton. Who's going? Are you two going? Ah, uh, hell yeah. I'll see uh, you there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's ticketed, but also there's a little thing that says, no one, uh, if you don't have, um, funds, you won't be turned away. So if you're in that situation, which I'm, I am in, at the moment, you know how it is. Um, yeah, so come through. Everyone's welcome. And China will be joining us in a few minutes. Um, but George, I love, I love that George put her hand up. Yes.
2: Go, George. Okay. I just Go, want to George. mention a few things quickly. Yes. That previous interview contained some content uh, around sexual violence. Um, and so if any of that was distressing to you, please call WIRE Women's Information on one 134 130 Beautiful. Do we have time for a song? Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, well, we've got a few minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it's short, sure, let's squeeze it in. So this is a song from an ind- Indigenous artist, Glenn Scuthorpe, who we will be interviewing next week. Hey. So that's very exciting. This is a song from his recent album last year. It's called See My World. Away. So that was a song by Glenn Scathorpe called See My World.
4: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast at 3CR. And as we promised, we have a China in the building. China is a creator and she is the founder of Floating Key, a nomadic. Curatorial platform centering black elevation in Nam. Welcome <laughs> to Tuesday Breakfast China. Hi, thank you
8: for having me.
4: And we were saying earlier um it's so early for you to come in, 7.45. It we is love really early, session.
8: but I'm excited to come here and have a chat with everyone. Yeah. So yes. got me up.
4: So we're so excited to have you. Mm. Um, okay. So you grew up in uh, Detroit and Mississippi. Yeah, in between the two of them, back and forth yeah. with my mom. And you say also um, that these places have deep racialized histories. Mm-hmm. Um, How has your upbringing influenced your ideas about blackness and also um, your ideas about community?
8: Mm. Well, growing up in Detroit, I never really noticed that my... Growing up in Detroit, I never really noticed that my blackness was different Mm. from anything else. Um, It wasn't until I moved to Mississippi and I was encountering all of these... Hyper racialized experiences starting from five years old, that I was very aware of my otherness in the way that that impacted my identity and the um delay that that put on my journey into loving myself and um I think it's that awareness of how blackness operates and how mm. that othering works that I've always been very conscious of in my writing and in my organizing with different communities Mm. and um it's left this impression on me that we must always work together and empower one another because um working in these structures that aren't really set up for you you can never really truly conquer them um Yeah, not Mm. without your people, not without um, that community support, so...
4: Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've lived in Nam since 2014. Yeah. What have you noticed about the visibility of um, POC and black communities, or lack thereof, I guess?
8: Yeah, what I see um, is that they're just as tokenized... um, as they are in the US. And it's interesting because I had moved here thinking that I was going to have this um, break, so to speak, of what blackness was in the US for me and have this sort of healing. And what I came to realize was that what I was operating in was something very similar, but with a different type of wrapping and that... um, the issues that I was really wanting to heal from were more global than I'd ever really realized. Mm. Um, And I think just seeing how many people feel this sense of displacement here as well, and recognizing my position as a black American on this land, I um, have felt this urgency to have these sort of discussions Mm. here. And can um, you speak
4: to us about that? Because in your bio you um, reference Nam, and it's a, and it's well, Nam for those who don't know means Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of a lot of um, people coming from different countries aren't aware or don't put the um, I guess research into finding out the like the country that they're in and uh, and the um, I guess um, paying homage to the traditional owners. Mm-hmm. Why is that important in your work to always acknowledge? Um, the true owners of the land.
8: Well, I have deep um, Native American ancestry, and my ties to slavery are so close. I mean, the last sharecropper in my family died maybe five or s- five years ago. Wow. Um, so these experiences are very close to home for me, and I try and always bring that with me wherever I go to have a deep respect for people who have been building community on the slam before colonization and respecting what so many people have tried to take. Um, and I just think it's very important, particularly as a black American, to do that because, unfortunately, there are some people that would value my blackness over others who have been here. Um, so I want to remind people that even though they think that my blackness may be more, I don't know.
4: Cosmopolitan, I guess. Yeah,
8: it seems to be more alluring to yeah. people, and I hear that in the way that they speak to me. And it's my way of reminding folks that while I may not be native to this land, what I do have in common is this relationship to whiteness of this erasure Mm. that I see happening throughout the world and um, I just want to give a voice to that as much as I can and Mm. just say respect and thank you for allowing me to do what I'm doing here because I've been blessed to have opportunities here that I might not have even had in the U.S. and I'm very aware of the fact that that happens because of my different blackness, Mm, if that makes sense.
4: No, that makes absolute sense. Um, Okay, so let's get down to floating keys. (laughs) Um, What is floating keys? And can you also tell us about the symbol, the keys? What's what's that about? Well, I used to find
8: um, keys a lot, or they would find me growing up, um, whether I was living in different ghettos, and I'd find them, like, going through... Um, Rubbish (laughs) something in the basement or um, just walking around in neighborhoods. It's been this thing that's always followed me. And I would always wonder about the people who made them and the people who labored into them wondering if they ever really considered the fact that this key that they made to this home wouldn't exist, that the actual purpose of it wouldn't Mm -hmm. exist. And if they had ever thought about the beauty that would be left behind in that And I think it's that um, idea that's kind of stuck with me of leaving something behind that people could find later on and repurpose the meaning of that, regardless of, you know. And that's the point, is that we're... Floating Key is this curatorial platform that centers black and POC folks in the hopes of us building greater solidarity. Um, But it's about the fact that We're putting this energy out there. We're sharing our work and we're connecting with one another. And we don't necessarily know exactly how that will unfold, how that will manifest later on. But it's about the intention and the laboring into that with the idea that we'll leave something behind. Mm. Um, And yeah, I just love keys. So maybe that's it too. (laughs) But um, it works for me. It makes sense to me. And I think if you... Think about things that you just kind of find in that way that give you enjoyment. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a nice way to kind of connect that to your behavior and the way that you engage with people. Mm. Yeah.
4: And also um, because in um, <clears throat> the bio you, of Floating Keys, you talk about how um, Floating Keys, um, it's for everybody, but it also centers queer folks, mm-hmm. trans folks, And I was wondering, um, how does um, queer politics inform the initiative? Why is that so essential?
8: It's essential in the way that people will interact with one another. Um, I'll have these, like, code of ethics, so to speak, that are printed out that people will have as um, a reminder of how to engage with one another. The idea of using pronouns, not assuming people's identities, Mm. being respectful... um, Of people in general I think it is an event that centers queer identities but I also think that this is just good practice as being a human being not Mm. to um, ostracize those that Mm. may seem unfamiliar to you and I think there's this um, I would like to see more inclusion of queer identities within black and pop communities and it seems that we don't often have enough discussions centering those people, mm-hmm. and I say those people centering people like myself. Um, and
4: yeah, and I love that it's not tokenistic. It's all about respect. It's all about yeah. you know, um, uh, I guess treating people how they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's central too. Like you said, good practice. And I love yeah. that you have ethics, <laughs> like a code kind of ethics. That's 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 amazing. Like you don't often hear hear that.
8: Yeah. Well, I'd like people to walk into the space and understand that they've stepped into something different and to carry themselves appropriately and respectfully and to see it as a privilege to be engaging with all of these people within their community mm-hmm. and being, in a way, strategically placed with one another. Because, um yeah, the with the artists that we have and with the communities I'm a part of, I'm hoping that a lot of these people who might not normally engage with one another will see these sort of commonalities mm-hmm. and that queer folks in these park spaces will feel more at home than they might typically.
4: Mm-hmm. And um, just before we let you go, can you tell mm-hmm. us about the launch of um, Floating Keys? Like what should we be expecting? Yes. So the theme for
8: the night is on hair. Um I Sorry, (laughs) well hair
4: politics.
8: Yeah, Um, and I chose the theme of hair because I thought it was something it's deeply ingrained in black culture, but it's something that all people of color can relate to in how hair has shaped our identity. Um, and how we've many of us have tried to fit into this European standard of what hair should mm. look like. Um, and I think it's a nice topic that we can all, yeah, unite under. So we'll have spoken word, um, performances from Idil Ali, um, Sister Zai, and Argo Thea Harris. Mm. And, um, we'll have some really beautiful musical accompaniment from people like Yusuf, um, um, Isabel de Cruz, Panga, some people that hopefully you're familiar with oh, but wow. you'll get you, familiar with. I feel like but, you got
4: the best of Val um, and how <laughs> what did you do to find all these amazing people?
8: You know, th- the communities that I'm a part of have banded together quite nicely and um everyone spread word and they've mm. really helped pull everyone together quite beautifully. So I can't take credit for <laughs> everything. There's a lot of people yes. that have helped make this happen. Um but yeah, we'll do that and there'll be um, some platters of food around for people to have snacks on and hopefully people will buy more food if you get hungry. Yeah, um.
4: <laughs> And Afro Hub and is amazing for that. They make like really spicy tea that's just Yeah, oh, it's so delicious. nice. I love Afro Hub.
8: And we'll have a, an open mic portion of the night where hopefully people will come and read some work that is relevant to the theme or just relevant to themselves. I'm not going to gatekeep how that happens. Um, And then there'll be an aspect of sharing or networking. Like I'd like to dedicate at least 30 minutes to people sharing something that they've brought with them. So the idea is that everyone comes with something um, to contribute. And we'll just kind of engage and network and round out the night quite yes. nicely like that
4: and hopefully soon we can maybe play um Indiari's i'm not my hair yeah because <laughs> i mean that's that's pretty much what we've just been discussing mm. um yeah so thank you so much for appearing on tuesday breakfast thank and we you for having see me see floating keys tomorrow we're all coming yes we're all thank coming. you that makes me so happy. W- w- what time does it start it starts at 8 p.m, 8 PM.
8: so please get there early it um It's not a large venue. Mm -hmm. I welcome everyone to get there on time.
4: Yes, if you want seats, get early. There are
8: tickets available now um, through Tribe Booking, and there's tickets available at the door. Perfect.
2: I just want to add that the poster for the event is so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um,
8: Alexandra Bowman is an illustrator living in Oakland, California. We met while we were both living in Chicago. And I've always been really fond of her work and just wanted to connect with her on this. I love the way she brings emotion Mm. and movement through her illustrations. So, yeah, yeah, I'm very honored to have had her illustrate that.
4: Yes, can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you're just tuning in, uh, that was uh, China, the founder of Floating Keys, a nomadic curatorial platform centering black elevation in Nam, Floating Keys, Launches on January 31st at Afro Hub in Carlton North. We'll pull up all this information both on our Twitter page and and, and, uh, on our Facebook page. I do apologise. It's that time of the morning. (laughs) And we will see you shortly. Have you heard about the Melbourne
7: Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes,
1: skateboards, scooters, buses and more. It's at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Pod Road, Fort Melbourne, on Sunday, February 18th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focus seminars and tech talks. Entry is free. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au. The Alternative Technology Association is a proud supporter of 3CR.
5: Making Waves features the powerful tales of nuclear survivors from Japan and Australia traveling aboard Peace Boat's voyage to five Australian cities this summer. On the 1st of February in Melbourne, join us for a unique gathering of Japanese survivors of the atomic bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, ex-farmers from Fukushima, indigenous survivors of nuclear testing in Australia, and the Nobel Peace Prize winning international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons.
3: Hear the stories and
5: help us make some noise for Australia and Japan to sign the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty. 6 pm on February 1 at ACME, Federation Square. Book online at icanw.org
3: forward slash au.
4: ICANN is a 3CR supporter. And if you're tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, Lauren, George, and um, in the break we were having such a lovely chat with China. So um, if you're uh, free tomorrow, once again, please get to Afro Hub at 8 p.m. And now we're gonna play um, Indiaris. I am not your. I am not my hair. So I'm more than that. Please, I'm not my hair. And if you're tuning in, that was Indiari with I Am Not My Hair. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 8.55am.
3: Some folks know about
1: Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR it is Tuesday the 30th of January it is 8 or 9am and it's a great day Um, so now we are going to talk a bit about the Me Too movement because in the last few weeks it's kind of Um, it feels like it's changing a bit the um, Aziz Ansari story has kind of brought a bit more nuance to the debate and I think there's a really important focus now on the fact that thus far it's been largely white privileged women mm. um, who have been the focus so mm. and yeah
4: to, and to bring that locally um, who was that guy Charles Charles who, Water yeah. Street so
1: there's a um, yeah Q&A is doing a, a, a me too special on um, Thursday the 15th of February um, and you know, it's, um, it's copping a lot of heat at the moment because the guests that they've asked to speak on the panel, um, one of them is a barrister named Charles Waterstreet who has been accused of, um, sexual harassment. Um, and so a lot of people are feeling, and I'm going to say quite rightly mm-hmm. that, um, that this is not really a safe space then for survivors to be having conversations that we really need to be having about mm. power imbalances and about um, feelings of safety both emotional and physical, and all mm. of these things that um, need to be examined in the me Too debate, so yeah, what are your thoughts on the
2: on on that particular yeah, and that 's ridiculous, why would they why would they pick someone like that who has that history I mean, mm. it 's part of this really sense.
1: this kind of backlash um, in and I, I guess this is like a lot of social media and just like water cooler conversation, but people being concerned about, um, you know, um, trial by media, kind of this idea of um, if people um, if people make allegations about somebody, then all of a sudden it's, it's as bad as a
2: conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. this is what's kind of, just to bring it back to the um, Aziz stuff, what's troubling about a lot of these people that have been accused of sexual assault, none of them have been convicted. So the Har- oh. Harvey Weinstein, all of these people mm. in the film industry. And do people think that it's adequate enough just to have this trial by media and everyone in the public sort of rejecting these people? Well, is that the I mean, end guess, goal?
1: So I guess there is a really um, significant distinction between sexual assault and sexual harassment um, in terms of how Me Too started. So... With the like, with that Google doc that was the start of the Me Too thing, um, there were some allegations of like penetrative offences or sexual assault, and that sort of like really, um, really, definitely like on the criminal offence scale, I guess. Um, but then there was a lot of allegations of um, sexual harassment that were perhaps words or um, attempts to coerce people into sexual acts Mm. in, like, trading for jobs and that sort of thing. Um, And so that was more of, like, the warning
2: sign stuff. Mm. So, And it's all cut from the same cloth. This is something that was mentioned in the interview I did with Karen and Em, and it might come up in the second half, which we'll play next week, is that there is a sort of backlash against the Anzari stuff, because people are arguing that that is, you know, a less severe form of um, harassment or assault. And it assumes that people don't understand the difference. Mm. So, and, and we do know. We do understand the difference between different kinds of sexual yeah. violence. And I think that there and the is idea, space yeah, and in the, idea, the debate for both. A
4: hundred percent. And um, sorry, I was uh, to cut you off. But I was thinking also the thing about nice guys, that nice guys don't mm. um, commit acts like this or that, you know, you can't be nice and also cross the line or that you can't be nice and also... um. Uh, take advantage, yeah. like, the yeah. two are not, like, mutually exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and Aziz,
2: Aziz uh, f- markets himself as a feminist. Well, he wrote a book about romance about modern, modern yeah. romance, yeah.
4: yeah. And I guess that's the whole Me Too campaign. I just wish there wasn't so much celebrity focus that – well, no, let me rephrase that. I wish there was um, – Opportunities for both celebrities Mm -hmm. and for regular folks to to get just as much airtime and get as much focus. Because you think about people in the service industries, women in the service industries, you know, especially the caring industries where you know um, uh, they're uh, they're paid poorly Mm -hmm. um, and also they're they're paid according to the service that they provide. So women are always seen as providing service, and then they're forced to get into situations um, to, you know, um, appease these people. And and that's
2: the most underreported form of sexual misconduct. Absolutely. And you think
4: about immigrant women as well.
1: That survey done by um, United Voice, the Hospitality Workers Union, Mm. showed that 90% of hospitality of women or people who identified as women who worked in hospitality reported sexual harassment in the 12 months preceding the survey. Mm -hmm. 90%. Yeah. What is that figure?
3: Yeah. Like,
2: I think it's i understand the arguments about this issue sort of just taking place in in hollywood and then saying that's privileging certain voices mm. but there is an interesting point to be made i think about mainstreaming this topic is reaching more people than it would because we've in our own social circles it's normal to talk about this but i don't think it's as as accessible to everybody so I think that it if it is when something is sort of when it enters the mainstream it is diluted and it does there is power and certain voices are, are heard over others but could it have a positive impact in I the actually future?
1: have one very quick personal anecdote about that um, I work with survivors of sexual assault and sexual abuse and one of them said to me on the phone the other day I really love the Me Too movement, and I was quite taken aback by that. This is a man in his 60s, um, and I asked why, and he said, this is the first time in my entire life that victims of abuse are being believed and supported when they come forward. And that just means so much to him, that this is is now the reality that he lives with because he spent his entire life not being believed. So yeah, I think that goes to your point. Mm. Um, and very soon we will be joined by Dr. Vivian Waller to discuss the Roe Commission and the um, anticipated federal redress bill for survivors of
6: childhood abuse.
0: Tune in, dig deep, and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers, and creepers, and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5 and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning.
1: Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, And if the preceding um, content or what we're about to hear brings up anything for you. Um, We will be discussing child abuse and sexual assault. Um, So this might be distressing to you. And if it is, please give 1-800-RESPECT a call on 1-800-737-732, or you could contact CASA, the Centre Against Sexual Assault, on 1-800-806-292. And this interview will be going for about 10 minutes. So if you need to tune out and then tune back in, By all means, please take care of yourself. And we are now joined in the studio by Dr. Vivian Waller, who is the principal solicitor of Waller Legal and, full disclosure, my boss. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. So, um, Dr. Waller, do you want to tell us a bit about the firm and the work that you do and, yeah, your
5: past? Well, we're a law firm that uh, exclusively works in the field of sexual assault, so we look after people who've been um, harmed as children or as adults in that way, who often suffer from psychiatric or psychological consequences of that abuse, and we assist them to obtain recognition, acknowledgement an apology and compensation. Uh, And we tend to focus on abuse occurring in an institutional setting because of the various deficiencies of the legal system. That's the um, the avenue that we can most assist people. But in some circumstances, we do also look at claims against individual offenders.
1: Yeah. Um, and so the Royal Commission was obviously very significant for you. So this is the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. Um, that's over. It's been a pretty wild ride, I think, for a lot of people in the last few years with that. Um, could you maybe talk us through a little bit of the findings and some of the recommendations um, that have come out of that? Sure. Um, five <laughs> years of yeah. wild right.
5: <laughs> Um 57 case studies. The Royal mm. Commission proceeded by way of case study, which I think was a really forensic and terrific way to go about looking at the issue. So where the Royal Commission received concentrations of complaints about particular um, institutions... It conducted a case study where it would take witness statements from people who'd been harmed in that institution and then obtain documents and interview people and and conduct a case study. Um, And that has been a really terrific way for the Royal Commission to progress its work because... There's no way that it could have looked under every rock um, Australia-wide. So it's really focused its attention in a forensic way on particular institutions, the Catholic Church, sporting institutions, um, the Anglican Church, Mm. the Yeshiva College in in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, And proceeding by way of case study, it's been able to um, conduct a lot of research and to draw out some, some common threads. Um, it's pretty clear that there has been um, systemic child sexual abuse in a number of Australia's large organisations. Um, the Catholic Church is overrepresented represented mm-hmm. um, in those organisations and um, there's been what it called a, a catastrophic systemic failure of things like the Diocese of Ballarat um, to respond appropriately to child sexual abuse. The Royal Commission has also done a lot of policy and research work Mm -hmm. and key among its recommendations is that the federal government should set up a redress scheme, um, which is a statutory scheme which would provide payments of redress and acknowledgement to survivors. Mm -hmm. But the Royal Commission has also recommended significant law reform, which is currently underway in many states and territories of Australia to enable those people who can bring common law claims for compensation Mm. to do so.
1: Yeah, and it looks like states like Western Australia and Tasmania are hopefully getting on board with that soon. Um, And are there many other states that are lagging behind in that?
5: Um, Look, it would be great if Western Australia could join the law reform uh, brigade. There's there's currently a bill before the Western Australian Parliament which will abolish time limits Mm -hmm. for the commencement of civil proceedings in relation to sexual abuse, so that's a positive development. Tasmania has just had law reform in that regard. Queensland has also had law reform abolishing time limits. So that's all been very useful.
1: Yeah. And so, in terms of the redress scheme that you just mentioned, um, how would that operate and what would it mean for survivors? There's a bill
5: before the parliament currently, um, and it's just been referred to the the Senate for review. The bill proposes that a a scheme be set up. The Commonwealth doesn't have the power to force um, states and um, other organisations around Australia to participate in the scheme. So at the moment, the redress scheme only applies to, com- to territories and to sort of Commonwealth institutions. So it's got a pretty narrow application at the moment, but it envisages that survivors of abuse would be able to apply for redress and have access to a redress payment and also have access to counselling and psychological services although it's a bit unclear in the current formulation of the bill how long those services would be available for. Mm -hmm. Um, If the bill is passed in its current form, it would be possible for various states of Australia to opt in by making a referral of powers to the Commonwealth. And if those states opt in, then organisations and institutions within those states can also voluntarily opt in to the scheme. So at the moment, Mm -hmm. it's got very limited coverage It really would rely on the goodwill and cooperation of each state of Australia and then every institution, the Salvation Army, the Christian Brothers, Yeshiva College and so on, voluntarily opting into the scheme before a survivor would be able to apply for redress.
1: And so... Knowing some of the figures in the Royal Commission, for example, you know, 40% plus of St. John of God brothers were um, sexual offenders and 21% of the Christian brothers and that those sort of astronomical figures, does it seem a bit unlikely then that those institutions would open themselves up? to signing on to the federal redress scheme? Has there been any indication or am I just extrapolating here?
5: <laughs> Look, it's a difficult question. On the one hand, I'm concerned that the redress scheme, it's um, postulated that it will have a cap of 150000 The average payment would be something like 50 to 60000 mm. There might be organisations around who consider that they would be better off having people... Um, Participate in redress rather than pursue them for common law compensation because they might consider that financially they will get out of it more lightly by participation in the scheme. And that's one of my greatest concerns about the proposed redress scheme. It requires that a release be signed um, in order to receive the redress payment which signs away a person's common law rights.
1: So what that means is if they sign a, a release doing redress then they could never do any other... Bring any other legal action against that institution again in the future. So that's, they're, that's exactly they're right. ending everything. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So it's a pretty big decision and we would hope that people would have access to funded expert legal advice so that they can be informed about the decision that they're making mm. because they could be signing away rights to a compensation claim that are quite significant. And then people might not even know they have in that, yeah. Exactly. And you can, there are many more things that can be achieved under a common law compensation claim. For example, redress doesn't provide any financial component for past or future medical expenses. The redress does not provide any financial component for the impact that the abuse might have had on someone's education or work. So you can't claim past or future loss of earnings. Mm. Um, Redress also doesn't have any capacity to provide punitive or exemplary damages. So common law claims, although difficult, can achieve those things. We've seen some recent decisions of the Supreme Court um, where the Orthodox um, Jewish school assisted the offender to flee the jurisdiction. There was $100,000 worth of exemplary damages added to the plaintiff's. Common law claim
1: yeah, And so exemplary damages are like above and beyond Like the court is particularly horrified By, yeah Um, And so maybe just Quickly, are there any other significant um, Issues with the redress Bill as you see it
5: Look, the absence of clarity About um, Funding for really good quality legal Advice to support people who, who want To apply is really the most concerning Thing the other thing is a lot of things about the bill are going to be left a kind of ministerial direction and guidelines uh-huh. and I would prefer to see more of the structure of the bill, mm. like how counselling services are going to be provided and how long psychological... I'd prefer yeah. to see that actually in the bill um, and then that means that it's subject to parliamentary scrutiny and not so much subject to the changing whims of... Ministerial yeah. direction. And it's really
1: important for survivors, I guess, if they're thinking of redress as an option, they need to understand what that actually means long term for them as well. Exactly.
5: And look, the, the, just the other really concerning thing is it's not in the bill again, but it's been postulated that the minister, minister will exclude um, any survivor who has committed a sexual offence or been imprisoned for more than five years. And I think that that is unduly harsh. Um, All of these people were harmed when they were children. Mm. They were often placed in a state-run institution because of reasons of impoverishment, you know, in their family or or other social and emotional difficulties. They were then abused in care by someone who was supposed to have been looking after them. Mm. And it is understandable in those circumstances they might have drug and alcohol-related difficulties later in life. They might develop difficulties dealing with people in positions of authority. Um, You know, they may be more likely to to, um, have committed criminal offences and to exclude them from the capacity to engage in redress, Mm. to exclude them from being able to seek an apology, seek counselling, seek treatment or redress, I think um, would be unduly harsh.
1: I feel like it almost... um it almost makes it seem like the government hasn't learnt anything from the royal commission, you know. In in a way, like they they're not understanding the ongoing impacts on a person's life of abuse when you're a child, um, and how how unfair is that too? And one of the most
5: terrifying things about the current formulation of the bill, I think, is the risk that it will repeat the mm-hmm. mistakes of the past, because what the royal commission has done is it's criticised a lot of schemes, such as Towards Healing or the church-run schemes which have sold people down the river, given them a small amount of compensation, made them sign a release without independent legal representation, without having their other rights assessed. And the bill in its current form, I'm afraid, runs the risk that we might be doing that again.
1: Mm. So for people who um, are affected by this law or who might want to contribute to the lawmaking process... Um, As far as I know, ah yes, here we go, the closing date for submissions on the bill is the 2nd of February, which is Friday I believe, Um, and so you can go to the Australian Parliament House website, aph.gov.au um, and it's called the Commonwealth Redress Scheme for Institutional Child Sexual Abuse Bill 2017. You are welcome to publicly comment on it. Um, you can do it anonymously. Um, you can It doesn't have to be a formal submission. It can just be your thoughts and feelings about it, um, and the Senate will review it. So thank you so much, Dr. Waller, for joining us. Thank and you for having me. Good luck with your submission. Thanks.
4: <laughs> and it's that time of the morning. Um, uh, we've had such a big show. Mm. Thank you to every all all of our guests yes um and i love the variety of topics that we've had you know um very good that's always amazing and we will see you next tuesday yes are uh, we ending on solange i uh, no, because we've got like literally a minute ah, left all right well have a fabulous and week we can't everybody. do just <laughs> one minute <of> launch yes have a fabulous evening